so we are, we are diving into some deep waters today. I just wanted to say that up front. Um, we're going to get into some, some really deep places of the spiritual life and of the life of faith, but uh, hopefully it's stuff that you all resonate with, not, not things that are kind of irrelevant, deep stuff, not philosophical, but the deep parts of human experience and the deep parts of how our relationships work and, and how God uh, would have us to um, learn how to, to relate to one another. Um, so I'm going to begin off with just a, uh, a story, a little bit of a story with uh, some of these deep places for me. So you, yeah, get to know a little bit of my own angle that I'm coming at some of this stuff with today. Well, as Rich said, we're going to be talking about forgiveness, and uh, that can be a, a really challenging thing to talk about as, uh, as I'm learning. So uh, when I was in sixth grade, I had a group of friends. I was part of what I guess you call a popular group. Uh, we, we were the athletes. We were the people that um, everyone kind of wanted to be like. We were, you know, we were clearly distinct from the non-popular people. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, I was, I don't know if... I don't know why I was like this, but I was kind of always fringe on that group. I was kind of getting my identity out of the popular group. I was enjoying the, the privilege I had as a fourth grader. What kind of privilege does fourth graders have? The privilege of being a popular kid in fourth grade. And, um, and I was enjoying it. And I, and I didn't think anything else other than these two categories of people existed. The kind of the loser kids and me. And so, you know, we, uh, we, we live like this as kids, right? We live like this as elementary school kids. And so I get to sixth grade, and everything gets blown apart because uh, two schools merged. I, I went to Roosevelt Elementary, and some other school merged with Jane Addams Elementary, and we became kind of a new, new cohort. And if you know anything about human relationships, when two new groups of people blend together, uh, all bets are off. <laughs> things, things are going to change. And so there, there was a couple guys that came into school who, for whatever reason, didn't like me. They didn't like that I was part of their popular group, and they, they wanted me out. And so it took about half a year to get me out. But by the time that happened, I was oblivious to this, right? I had no idea. I was just running around in the playground with these guys. And um, I remember one, one, uh, at one point they were like, they had got the group of the cool soccer guys together to stay after school to learn how to do slide tackles. And uh, some, the, our, fifth, our, our sixth grade um, teacher, uh, her husband was a soccer coach. So they brought him in, and I was like, I wasn't invited, but I heard that they were doing that. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'll come too. You know, I didn't know I was on the outs at this point. And so I went out, and I got like these tall soccer socks and these short shorts and learned how to slide tackle with these guys who were about to completely blow my world apart. Um, so what happened... Uh, Sometime in the middle of that year was I, I get out to recess. I just have this distinct memory. I get out to recess, and uh, here's my pack of guys, and uh, they're off in the one side of the recess. So I run out to, to meet them, and right when I get there, they had figured it out that when I would come out to play, they would all run di a, a different direction. Like they were going to send the message, "You are no longer welcome." And so uh, they went off in the direction I was clueless. So I ran off after them, and they ran off in a different direction. And I was kind of like all the kind of loser kids were playing basketball. So I kind of stumbled back into the basketball court. And this girl, I remember her name's Tracy, she came up to me. Isn't it amazing how like you can, these, these moments you can vividly remember? So the Tracy was like, Keith, she, I think she was feeling bad for me. She's like, Keith, don't you realize like they don't want to be your friends anymore? So she said to me. It was like, boom. Like, it all hit me. And um, from that point on, I was, I was friendless. I had no group of people. I had no friends. 
uh, until um, I started hanging out with the loser kids. And I, uh, I was so excited because I was like, I'm going to be the popularest loser, most popular loser. And, I, and I, I had to learn the hard way. It doesn't work like that. You know, you get into the, the loser crowd and you're like the enemy. And so you start at the bottom of the, 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 the bottom. So anyway, uh, <clears throat> lots, lots more to that. But that, that experience completely and utterly shaped my sense of identity. They took something away from me. Those boys took something away from me in sixth grade that I've never recovered. A sense of questioning, a deep sense of worth, a deep sense of belonging, um, deep sense, do I, do I truly belong in this world? Um, I haven't, even to this day, recovered what they took, they, they took away from me. Um, and so as we, as we talk about forgiveness, we have to, we, you know, we all have to, to do some hard thinking and hard work, some hard soul work to figure out um, what has been taken away from me in this life. What things have been taken in a way that I'll, I'll perhaps never recover? And these are, the, these are the deepest places that Jesus gets to in his teaching. And so we've been, uh, if, you, if you're new to this, or if you, we're, we're, we're right in the middle of a long, long series on Jesus and learning what he has to say and what he has to say about real life and life issues. And we're in this, we're in this little mini part of this long series, which is all about Jesus' teachings. What did he teach? How, what did he say to, to us that we have to learn from? Uh, what kind of things does he want us to really get deep down? And we've talked about uh, a central parable that Jesus tells about this plant that grows up and uh, different kinds of soils that it gets into and how there's a certain type of soil that's not ideal. I mean, the plant is growing, it's going to bear fruits, but then it gets choked. It gets choked by life. And we've been talking about that in terms of, in our day, of consumerism, which is uh, the belief that life is just an endless series of products that we choose from. Um, all these, all these, uh, all these products out there that we choose from. And once we get into that mentality, life, life chokes us. And the issue is, is that this way of life that we all get into is completely opposite of what Jesus' teachings tell us. Uh, Jesus, uh, when, when the world tells us, when consumerism tells us that we're here to be served, we are primarily people that are here to be served by the products and the different things that, um, that should serve us. Jesus tells us that we are servants. And in relationships, when, we would, uh, when our relationships break down and consumerism teaches us that they're just another product, to move from one relationship to another if it fails you, where Jesus, as we'll get into today, talks about forgiveness. Uh, and next week, we're going to talk about uh, an even deeper uh, challenge with consumerism, which is when we feel like God has failed us, we end up treating him like a product that we move from one God to another. And then after Easter, we're going to get into what happens when the church fails us. We get, and, can we, and we're in that consumeristic mentality. We just move from thing to thing. And we're asking ourselves, in all of this, we're asking ourselves, how do we get in a place where we're not choked by this way of life, where we're not being choked by discontentment and disappointment, but it's replaced by something else, freedom, freedom to be fully alive. So we ask ourselves, um, where am I deeply discontent? Where do my discontentments continue to grow? And you trace that back to what you're expecting and what you're trying to have or be the best of. What am I trying to have or be the best of rather than just being good at it? 
Um, that's, that's one way that these things choke us out. Uh, and, and then we ask ourselves, um, rather than being served, how can I be constantly being a servant to other people? That's how, you know, when we constantly want to get served, we get choked, choked by that which we hope serves us. Rather than asking ourselves constantly, how can I be a servant? How can I serve people? Uh, and I brought up last week the, the, the triple eight or the 24 divided by three principle. Uh, in your life, you should have, you know, we should be aiming for eight hours of work and eight hours of play and eight hours of sleep. And during the work and the play, we always are asking ourselves, how can I be serving people? So anyway, if you missed any of that, that recap uh, of where we're at with Jesus' teachings, you can look back on the website. They're all, all the previous sermons are there. But today we're going to be looking at how we get choked like this in our personal relationships. And honestly, I think this is probably one of the most important teachings of Jesus. One of the most. I mean, I've been thinking about saying that because Jesus has a lot of good teachings. But I think that this may be one of the most important pieces of his teaching about forgiveness, which gets us to the very hearts of what he's trying to say to us as he's trying to rescue us. So again, we're talking about relationships. What happens, how does this work in relationships, this picture of being choked out? It's when somebody sins against me, when someone does something against me and takes something from me, if they're a product, if I'm in this consumeristic mentality and if it fails me, what, what do I do? I just move on, right? Like you just sort of block them out, move on to a different relationship. That's how it works. Consumerism relationships, you, if it fails you, you just move on. And I think this is where um, some of the, uh, patterns of individualism come because uh, human beings were such moldable creatures, right? Like, um, if somebody hurts you enough, if you get hurt enough, here's what you're going to do. You're going to stop trusting. Like, you're not going to go out and have friends and have healthy relationships. You're just going to start... Uh, narrowing and whittling down your sphere of influence so that you won't get hurt again. You're protecting yourself. This is human tendency, but if you put consumerism right next to it with this product orientation, you get this, this real sense that very quickly I'm going to be narrow, uh, get narrower and narrower in who I'm around until maybe I've got one or two people who I really trust and maybe I don't really trust them, but I'm just getting, you know, I'm getting what I, relationship from them. And uh, I think this is where some individualism comes in. Individualism is that where, you know, that rugged individual. I can do life by myself. I don't need anyone else. I don't need uh, to rely on anyone else. I'm self-sufficient, which is the, one of the greatest myths uh, around. Um, so individualism comes out of consumerism and relationships. And two more things before we get into the scriptures here. Um, that I've got to sort of say before we get into it. Um, here's what happens in relationships oftentimes. Um, when someone sins against us, we interpret them as if they've got the worst motive in the world, and we blow up the offense. Um, but when we sin against someone else, when we, when we have an offense, we interpret ourselves with our best intentions, and we sort of minimize the cost that it, that it takes. And so it's, just, it's interesting how this works because we, we, when we talk about forgiveness, we have to understand that we have an impact on this world just as much as they have an impact on this world. And so we can, we can tend to do that. Um, so we interpret people through their worst possible motives. And the final thing to say here is this. Um, you know, 
if we get to the worst case scenario, and I think this is probably the worst case scenario, you get people into a posture where they're constantly being offended, constantly being wounded, constantly being um, uh, trespassed against, and then they start believing that everyone else in the world is the incompetent problem. You know, like, it's everyone else's issue, and I have nothing to do with it. And I think that this is how putting consumerism next to human selfishness works. And in relationships, it can get really nasty really quick. But when Jesus talks about this, when Jesus guides us through these deep places of human existence and human reality, he offers us a dramatic and powerful solution, which is forgiveness, which is kind of an economic idea. If you don't know that, forgiveness is an economic thing, which means that uh, if you need to forgive someone, it's because they've taken something from you. They owe you something. And so, you know, play this out. Rather than, you know, if someone came to my house and took all my gold doubloons, I don't have those. Um, uh, if someone comes to my house and takes something from me, they have stolen something from me. But this goes beyond material things. If someone should have been my friend, and, and in that friendship, they, they were, their, their job was to, 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 uh, to teach me that I am worth being a friend of. And I'm there to, to reciprocate and do that. If they take that away from me like those sixth grade boys did, they owe me something. They took that, they took that away from me. If, if your parent wasn't ever a real parent to you and didn't teach you to thrive and have wisdom in this world, they owe you a parent. Okay, this is how this works. This, uh, forgiveness is about figuring out what people owe you. And as we talk about forgiveness, and we'll see with Jesus, it's never about minimizing what's been taken from you. I could look back on my sixth grade life and be like, you know, those silly kids, that's how kids are, right? No, they took something away from me that I'll never, I will never get back my early formation and health in my early formation as a human being. And so when, when Jesus comes and talks about forgiveness, forgiveness is never trite. Forgiveness never tries to minimize what's been done against you, okay? So it's important. Um, but finally, <clears throat> forgiveness and trust are different things. You can forgive someone who's taken something away from you, but that doesn't mean you all automatically trust them again. It's like someone who you get close to and all they ever do is throw sand in your eyes. Okay? Think about that. Let's, let's pretend that every time you came close enough to me, I threw sand in your eyes because I think it's funny. Like, you should take five step backs and never come close enough for me to hit you with sand, okay? Um, or get a pair of goggles, and we'll talk, we'll talk about that. Get a pair of goggles. So, um, tr uh, trust Regaining trust with someone is in complete relation with their repentance. Are they sorry? Are they trying everything in their power uh, to change the behaviors that hurt you in the first place? Uh, forgiveness happens independent of repentance and trust. It can. Uh, but when, when forgiveness and trust come together, the relationship is restored. Okay. So these are, these are important things. Because we're in such deep waters here, I've got to qualify some of this for us. But the point is this. Forgiveness is never cheap. It's never cheap. Never just uh, let, it, let it roll off your back. And it never minimizes the scale of the lost. 
Jesus' ministry, at the heart of Jesus' ministry, he has something so profound to us, say to us about forgiveness. And this is a great scene from John chapter 8 where um, he's, he's illustrating. Read John chapter 8 if you don't know what this picture is about. So Jesus says a lot about forgiveness. Forgive us our debts, as we have also have forgiven our debtors. Right in the Lord's Prayer, the great prayer he teaches us is forgiveness. Forgive us our debts, as we also are forgetting other people. For if you forgive, this is elsewhere, he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is not a metaphor. Like, this is Jesus' teaching. This is what our Leader has this to say to us. God will not forgive you, your sins if you do not forgive others. He also says, don't judge. Elsewhere, Jesus says, don't judge, and you will not be judged. Don't condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. There's a direct correlation between our ability to forgive other people and our ability to receive forgiveness ourselves. Or this, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a, in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. You see that connection between repentance there that Jesus makes? This is, this is the trust element. Um, there's no question for him. If they repent, you must forgive. Uh, and then remember, he's hanging on the cross, like the worst rejection that any human being has probably ever felt. And he's, what is he praying? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. This is Jesus, right? This is his teaching on forgiveness. Um, and in, inherent in this teaching is this greatness of heart, a willingness to call out sin for sure, not just, to, not just minimizing it. He's calling out sin with this great benevolence, this great compassion, this large-heartedness. So before I get to the scripture today, here's just a few things from Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. You can free yourself from the resentment of being sinned against. If, if someone has sinned against you and that you haven't forgiven them and they haven't sought repentance, you will live in resentment and bitterness. But you can free, even, with, even without them participating in the process of reconciliation, you can forgive them and free yourself from that resentment by resolving that they don't owe you that anymore. Like those boys in sixth grade, like a long time ago, Maybe, maybe five, ten years ago, I, I came to a point where like, you know, those boys don't really owe me that anymore. I'm not holding that over their heads. It's clean. The, the, the slate is wiped clean. I don't really, they don't owe that to me anymore. And did I had talk with any of them? One of them's a missionary right now. Like, and he's all over Facebook about how the thing he's serving for the Lord. And I'm like, good for him. If I, didn't, if I hadn't truly forgiven him, I'd be like, who do you think you are? I'm the real Christian. I'm the pastor. You know, no, none of that. It's good for him. Uh, I've resolved that that person doesn't owe me that anymore. If someone has sinned against you, Jesus says, your job is to let them know. None of this sort of triangulation, so-and-so you tell this person, they tell this person, they, they just stink here. Like Jesus is like, don't do that. Talk to each other. If someone has taken something from you, work it out one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, and finally, if someone repents for their sins, if someone's truly sorry and making an effort, a deep effort to change their ways, uh, they show sorrow, 
uh, you forgive them and you restore trust. If you sinned against somebody, if you're, if you're the sinner, express your sorrow and try everything you can to change your behavior. Seek to be repentant and fully repentant. Our job is not to run around telling people how awful they are and judging them unless we've dealt thoroughly and completely with our own sins. Um, and this final point. Though you can withhold trust from someone who is not repentant, it is never an option not to forgive. I think that's the, that's the, uh, the sharpest edge of Jesus' teaching. Even though if they're not repentant, it's okay to keep a few steps away from them so they don't keep throwing sand in your eyes. It's never an option not to forgive. Not to say, you know what, you took that away from me, you don't owe me that anymore. So anyway, Matthew 18 is where this, this comes to a head in Jesus' teaching. Just before he uh, goes to the cross, or just before he goes to Jerusalem, this is just before his last week. I'm going to read this out in full and make a few highlights here. Um, Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And you know, again, they're asking the question, The greatest. Consumerism. Who, who's the greatest? Who can be the best? And then he called a child forth to be put up among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble. This is a key word here for us, I think. Whoever becomes humble, like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depths of the sea. He's not minimizing anything here. Like, <laughs> Woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. Occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to the one by whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. If your iPhone causes you to stumble, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or lame without an iPhone than to have two hands, okay, I'm just, that's interpretation, or feet, and thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fires of hell. Okay, some serious stuff. Take care that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, in heaven their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And Jesus begins teaching us about those who are astray or who are, who are not repentant. And if he finds it, and he, I, truly I tell you, he rejoices it. If he finds it, if he brings them to repentance, um, they'll rejoice over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of your Father in heaven, that any one of these little ones should be lost. Here we go. If I one mem another member of the church, and then Jesus is like, off in this like, I don't know, dreamy parable land of sheep, and, and then he's like, and about church. Here's how to, it's like no more metaphor. Uh, if they sin against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone, okay? If the member listens to you, you've regained that one. You've regained the trust. But if you're not listened to, take one or two others among you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, if that person refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. What do you think? Should we institute this? 
And tell it to the church. Okay, I'm going to tell you all the dirty laundry. No. Um, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and tax collector who cannot throw sand in your eyes. Keeps going here. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. And I'm sure the disciples were just like, okay, look, Jesus, lots of teaching here. What are you talking about? So Peter's like trying to get to the point. Okay, you're bringing up ideas about sin and the seriousness of sin. He says, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often do I, should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times, which is a Jewish way to say, never stop. You don't stop forgiving. Okay, so, um, so then Jesus says, that's right, I'm going to just tell this rather than read it. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a great king who had many servants in a lot of land. Okay, you want to know how to forgive? It's like, it's like a kingdom. And this kingdom uh, has a rich king, and he had one of his servants who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, I did, my, did the math here. That's uh, 60 million days worth of, uh, wa- uh, 60 million days wages. 60 million days worth of work he owed this king. That, that's probably for the king was one year, one full year of the produce of the land. So you can just tell this, this servant owed him so much. And he came to him and said, uh, Lord, I'm so sorry. Uh, and the Lord said, well, I'm, I'm here to reclaim what I'm owed. You owed me 10 million, or sorry, uh, what is it? 60 million days of work. I'm here to reclaim that from you. And he's like, oh, I'll pay it. <laughs> That's his response. I'll try to pay it. And the, the master says, actually, no, what I'm here to do is to remit the, 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 the sins. You took one year's wage from me, from me as a king, and it's erased. I've forgiven you. You don't owe me that anymore. And the servant was happy and, and excited and went out. And one of his fellow servants, this was a servant, had another peer, one of his fellow servants who owed him about four months worth, worth of wages. Um, the servant said, pay it back to me. I, I, I need this money. And uh, the, the person said, oh, have mercy on me. I, I don't have it right now, but I'll pay it back. And the unmerciful servant went and choked the servant, like choked him. And said, pay me what you owe me. Well, all the other servants around knew what had happened, knew how much this one had, unmerciful servant had been forgiven. And so uh, they told the king, and the king called him in and said, you wicked servant, I had forgiven you so much, and yet you weren't willing to forgive so little? Um, I'm going to jail you, put you in jail, until you can pay back every last penny. That's what Jesus has to say to the question, how many times, how often should I forgive? And uh, Jesus starts 
getting deep here. And I think you could say a lot about this. But Jesus, what Jesus focuses in on is our propensity to overlook how much we've done wrong in the world and to maximize what other people have done. You know, and we think, oh, you know, what could I have done? If, someone, if someone's sinned against me and they've offended me and they've taken something from me and I want to forgive them, no, like they owe me. They owe me all of this. You know, you, just, you can start listing this stuff out. You think, well, what have I done that bad? Um, have you ever spoken damaging words? Have you ever caused undue stress to people? Have you ever interpreted someone in the worst of lights? Have you ever gossiped, slandered, treated them like a slave? Have you ever been motivated by vindictiveness? Have you ever been easy to dismiss opinions? Have you ever been entitled? Have you ever shouted, swore, frightened people, humiliated them, blackmailed them, threatening them, ridiculed them, acting irrationally jealous about them? Have you ever been controlling? Have you ever hit, slapped, burned, pushed, restraining, uh, blow up, consuming things that oppress other people? Do you own a pair of clothing that has a tag made in a country where it was made by a slave? Have you ever neglected to care for people? Okay, I hope that I hope that you're honest enough to go, yeah, I probably fit this somewhere. I do. I fit this all over the place. Listen, we've wronged people. We owe people stuff. We owe God stuff. We've taken stuff away from people. And then, to, and then Jesus is saying, and then to have the entitled atmosphere, like, I'm not going to forgive them. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. This is where Jesus is like, you've got to forgive people. Otherwise, you're like this unmerciful servant. And this is where I'd like to just take a moment to say, um, I know this is kind of a more serious topic, but this is where I'd like to take a moment to say, uh, abuse of any kind in any relationship is never acceptable in the eyes of God. We, we might be minimally doing some of this stuff or maximally doing some of this stuff, but no abuse. The stuff up here that I've, I've listed, uh, it's never okay in any relationship but especially in close friendships or marriage. If, you, if any of this stuff is happening in a domestic situation, it is never okay. Um, sometimes I think we just forget to say that in the church. I think we forget to stand up and say, uh, you know, we, we, we forget to, to say what should seem obvious to us. This abuse is never okay. Uh, but we should speak more about this in the church. We should, we should talk about this more and be clear that, that if, if any of this stuff is our experience or if we have propensities to any of this stuff, uh, especially in marriage relationships, we should get help. Um, but Jesus, his point is this. It's, his point is that we don't run around ultimately as Christians and, and point fingers against unmerciful servants. God will do the work. Um, we, we can create scenarios in which um, any types of this uh, abuse is challenged in the church context. Um, uh, but when someone takes something that they can never give back, Jesus' ultimate point is like, don't choke them. Never choke a person, whether they're, they're um, a perpetrator of evil and abuse or whether they're an, uh, a victim. We never choke people. And the key to all of this, I believe, is humility. No choking. You know how much humility it takes 
for someone to come to you and say, you know what, Keith? I don't, I don't think you realize this. Maybe you did, but here's what you did. You sinned against me. You took something away from me that I'll never get back. You know how much humility that takes for a person to go, you know, you're right. I'm sorry. I repent. I will not do that again. Um, but this is the only way community works. This is the only way, Jesus says, that we get past um, a community that just is about choking each other. So let them know, one-on-one. If they don't listen, get two people. This is literal stuff, guys. Get two people and confront. If they refuse to listen, let the whole church know. And if the whole church confronts a person and they're not repentant of their abusive behaviors, then they need to, they need to go. <laughs> this, is, this is Jesus' teaching. Okay, there's a process here. You don't just kick someone out because they didn't listen to you the first time. Um, there's a process here. You distance them so that they might understand the seriousness of the behavior and they might repent. That's the point. But forgiveness ultimately is about freedom. That's what we're doing here. We're trying to be freed from patterns of unforgiveness in ways that just choke us straight to the core. Um, and when, when we think about uh, this in light of our ability to um, be disciples, to actually follow Jesus, whether it's learning to be people who say, you know what, uh, you took something away from me, you don't owe that to me anymore. Whether it's that, or uh, whether it's learning not to have to be the best at everything that we do, whether that we can uh, be comfortable with something that's, uh, that's good, not great. Um, any of these types of ways that we're getting free from consumerism, it's like, Man, how easy it is to slip into that stuff and how hard it is to remember what Jesus has to say to actually be his disciples. And so as we do any, as we think about all of this stuff, you know, I'm thinking like, how do we learn to follow his teachings? How do we learn? Uh, is there a program out there that can help us digest the heart of his teaching on selfless love and, and the extents that it will go towards forgiveness and freedom? Um, I think there's just this one word that I want to uh, offer us as, we're, as we move forth in the coming weeks. It's this idea of, bapti- I've made this, I made this up, baptismal spirituality. Freeing ourselves from the things that choke us. Freeing ourselves from consumerism and thinking that it's about me. Freeing ourselves from um, uh, patterns of deep unforgiveness. The reason why I call it baptismal spirituality is because we have to get ourselves into a way of life that stays oriented time and time again to Jesus and not the patterns uh, of the world around us. We have to get tuned in to this way of life. But it's baptismal because Jesus uh, ultimately ends at the cross. Remember? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? Can you act as a human being fully out of Jesus' selfless love in all of your relationships, in all of the situations you're in. This is baptismal. And um, I know this, is, this may be a bit vague at this point, but next week we're going to talk about Jesus' baptism scene, where he was baptized and where he was uh, led into the desert by, um, by the Holy Spirit. And we'll, just, we'll see just how important that process of suffering uh, of, of redemptive suffering, of Jesus' uh, delight in us and his willingness to take us through intense uh, moments of suffering. Just how much all of that 
has to do with us being true disciples, freed from that which choke us. Um, I've got points here. Did I put them up here? No. The point, the point is this. Rather than being lulled over by consumerism, how can we stay focused on always asking how we can serve, how we can care for those around us? That's Jesus. That's baptismal spirituality. Rather than being choked by discontentment, rather than just our days being, being defined by being discontent, like, can we have a practical guide um, towards that peace which surpasses all understanding. Do you want that? I want that. That's, that's, I think, baptismal spirituality. The way of Jesus throughout his suffering and the way towards freedom. Rather than perpetuating rejection and relational hurt, learning to forgive deeply, that's baptismal spirituality. Then, uh, how, then learning how do we put our treasures the things which we treasure so much, and our whole identities into God uh, so that our relationships uh, aren't, don't have so much weight put upon them uh, for other people to give us what God should have given us in the first place. That's baptismal spirituality. Um, rather than asking the question, and we'll get into this next week, rather than asking the question, why me? Why did, this, why did think something happen to me like this? Rather than asking, maybe does God hate me? Rather than going there, baptismal spirituality teaches us that God is constantly rescuing the world from evil, and all of our suffering as Christians are linked into that. Baptismal spirituality teaches us that. Uh, rather than settling for the lower forms of love, the lower forms of love, which are just relationships of taking, how can we be formed into people who truly give? Okay. Um, and then finally, being on a path of self-improvement, which isn't self-help. It's different. Self-improvement is different than self-help because true self-improvement that goes beyond self-help, true self-improvement can only be done by the king of the universe. He's the only one smart or strong enough to do that work. And so baptismal spirituality leads us uh, to have devotion, a life of devotion to God who's the only one that can free us um, from our patterns of selfishness. Baptismal spirituality. Okay, I'm just, I'm just, I came up with this and I'm going to go with it. And uh, next many weeks we'll unpack this. Uh, we've talked about Jesus' teachings so far and about how they are the exact opposite of consumerism. How the things that choke us are the things that Jesus 2,000 years ago zeroed in on and said, let me free you. Um, from materialism, from patterns of un unforgiveness. But I'm not just talking about learning about that. I'm talking about becoming people who this stuff is so deeply part of us that that's how we just naturally act and behave. Uh, and that's what we're doing here. That's what we're exploring. That's what we're, why we're unpacking Jesus' teaching in, in this way. Um, so anyway, more to come. To be continued, I guess, is the point. Uh, more to come on baptismal spirituality. But as we approach this table here and we think of this bread which symbolizes Jesus' broken body and the juice which symbolizes Jesus' um, Jesus's shed blood, he was willing to give it all so that we might have freedom and that we might have the ability to be free, freed up from the things that choke us. 
freed up from the patterns of unforgiveness that we just can't get out of. Um, I guess the question that I'm, I'm pondering myself today and I'm inviting us to ask is, um, what's been taken away from you in this life? Oh, it's going to go now. I'm almost done. <clears throat> what's been taken away from you in this life? Who took it away from you? What do people owe you that you still hold on to? And maybe this is the moment, even, even though they may not even be here, this is the moment where uh, you might say in a symbolic way to God, you know what? They took that away from me, but they don't owe me that anymore, God. Guys, if you can pray that prayer in the deepest places of your heart, I'm telling you, there is so much freedom that comes in its wake. Um, but if you want to go beyond that and beyond the, the freeing up of the, the chains which bind us of unforgiveness, um, maybe there's someone that you need to approach in a private setting. Listen, you took something away from me, and I just I need you to know that. Um, and if they don't listen, get a couple people to, to have the same conversation. And if they don't listen, guys, we're a church. We can, we can call this stuff out because we love each other and we want each other to grow. Maybe this is the moment where you can come forward and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to resolve to have that conversation that is probably going to be the hardest conversation of my life, but God, I'm going to do it. This could be a moment to commit to that. Uh, and finally, if there, if there is stuff that you're carrying with you where you know that you've taken something from somebody else, if you've sinned against somebody else, this is a moment where you can resolve to say, look, I'm going to repent from that. I will not do that again and I will turn my life around. I'll do anything that it takes to turn my life around. This may be a moment that if you're stuck in a pattern of sin that you can't get out of, this may be a moment where you dip the broken body of Jesus into the juice and, and pray, God, save me. I repent. I'm sorry. I, I want you to change. So there's two songs left. There's a lot of time uh, to do some hard, hard work uh, before the throne of God today. So friends, the table is set, and everybody here is welcome.